Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Awesome. Well, we are starting a new mini-series on generosity. Um... In a couple of weeks' time, Alyssa is going to speak on stewardship, and then the week after that, I'm going to speak on why you don't have to tithe, which that's the, the one we'll get the full room to, I think. Um, but this morning, I want to talk about this idea of the theology of abundance, the theology of abundance. And so really, this is a series on, on, on money. It's around generosity, but it's a series on, on money. And here's the thing. You don't want me to talk about money. I don't want to talk about money. But we've got to talk about money because money is, Vince wants me to talk about money, he said. Um, Money is a thing that touches every part of our life. And it's an important thing in our discipleship and our formation to Jesus. You know, I think this this is the first talk I've ever done in our church and the history of Greenhouse Church on money. And partly that's because I didn't want to be the church that talks about money all the time. Um... But I think I've gotten that a little bit too wrong. Like, we haven't really talked about it much at all. And I want to say sorry, because probably a lot of that is my own anxiety, insecurity, all the things that I don't want to be. Um, But talking about money is an important thing. And particularly now, cost of living is going up, interest rates going up, lettuce is expensive, whoever thought lettuce would be expensive. Um... But money is a discipleship issue. And so we talk about uh, our vision statement is to follow the way of Jesus into the restoration of our neighborhoods. And we talk about following the way of Jesus. It requires two things of us, two guardrails to help us follow on the way of Jesus. The first one is gathering, that we can't be Christians on our own. It actually involves community. It involves doing life with people. We do that in Sundays and dinner parties and triads, all different ways. Um, Because transformation happens relationally. It doesn't happen in isolation. Um, And the other one, the other kind of guardrail to following the the way of Jesus is practices, actually practicing the way of Jesus. Because Christianity, being a follower of Jesus, isn't just about believing a certain set of things. It's about following a way. And it's actually practices, habits that help us do that. And we talk about six core practices that we always want to circle back to and invite people into. Um, Prayer, reading the scriptures, Sabbath, serving, hospitality. And the sixth one is generosity. And that's probably the only one that we haven't really delved into in the last three and a bit years that we've been a church. Um, But Jesus talks about money a lot. In fact, he talks more about money than faith and prayer combined. He uses money as illustrations all the time. He talks about it a lot. There's two instances that are really interesting to me um, where Jesus actually links money and salvation. And for us, like sort of capitalist, evangelical type people, that gets us very prickly because we don't want it. We, we believe that salvation is through faith alone and um, we're also rich because we live in a Western country, right? And so it gets us a little bit anxious. Um, but there's two instances. Uh, one is Zacchaeus. 
who was a tax collector, a rich guy. He collected money off people. He stole money off people. He worked for the Roman Empire. And Jesus goes and has lunch with him one day. And the end of the lunch, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, I'm going to give away half of my money to the poor. I'm going to pay back anyone that I've stolen money off, which is pretty much everyone in the town. And Jesus says this interesting little statement. He says, salvation has come to your house today. Very, very interesting. And then there's a story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he asks, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus says to him, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he walks away really sad because he was very rich. And Jesus goes on in that story to tell his disciples. He says, I'll tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that very interesting? That gets us a little bit like, oh, I don't know about this because, you know, salvation is about grace and I've got money. (laughs) So what's Jesus getting at here? Well, a few important things to notice. Um, I talk about this a lot, but anytime you see that word salvation in the New Testament, it's written in Greek, the word, the Greek word is sozo. Want to say sozo? It's a good word, good word, sozo. Uh, It also gets translated as healing in other places, like Jesus healed someone, he sozoed them. Um, And salvation, you know, we get that word salve, it's like the, the sense of healing, of restoration. And often when we think about salvation in our kind of tradition, we think about the place that we go to when we die. But Jesus is not talking about that at all. It's part of that for sure, but it's about our whole selves here and now, healing, restoration, walking into wholeness. And so when Jesus says salvation has come to your house, to Zacchaeus, he's not saying you get to go to heaven when you die because you gave away half your money. He's saying that there is a sense of healing that just happened because you've reoriented your heart. You've changed the way that, you know, money has had a grip on your life. And then when he's talking to the rich young ruler, he comes up and he asks, how do I get eternal life? Again, the same thing. When, you know, in our kind of tradition, we think about eternal life as being life forever, like the quantity that we have of life. But when Jews heard that, that was definitely part of it, like a quantity of life. But he was talking about a quality of life, life to the full, life here and now, life abundant. And so when the rich young ruler comes and says, how do I get eternal life? He's asking, how do I get a a life of fulfillment right now and into the future? And Jesus' answer to that was like, get rid of the thing that's holding you, right? He went away sad because he had a lot of money. Um, It's about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just about this thing far off. It's about here and now. That's the message of Jesus. The kingdom is near. Heaven come to earth. The way to experience fullness and life, according to Jesus, at least in these stories, is generosity. Letting go of the things that grip us. And the key thing, I think, underpinning how we view money, particularly as followers of Jesus, the the key question it comes down to is this little statement. Do I trust God. In my finances, the thing that God's called me to, do I trust Him? Do I trust Him that He supplies? Do I trust Him that He cares about me? Do I trust Him 
enough to do what he says with my money. And I think Christians, I notice, there's kind of two thoughts that we have, two theologies we have when it comes to God, either a theology of scarcity or a theology of abundance. And a theology of scarcity is an easy one because in kind of Western capitalist society, that's what it's, it's built on, that there's only so much supply and there's demand to meet that. It's, it's the idea that, you know, so right now there's less oil in the world or, well, less oil being sold because of the Russia situation and the demand's still there, so petrol prices go up, right? Supply and demand, that's how kind of the economy works. And we think, you know, the more scarce something is, the more valuable it is. The more, there's only so much gold, there's only so much Bitcoin, there's only so much whatever, lettuce. Um, but, it's, but I think one of the best things to reframe that, and by the way, this is why a practice of gratitude is so important, is that it takes our eyes off what is scarce, what we have little of or what we don't have, and puts our eyes onto what we have a lot of, the breath in our lungs the roof over our head, even if it's not the roof that we want over our heads, the people in our lives, our church community, the country that we get to live in. That's this like practice of putting your eyes away from what's scarce and onto what is abundant. And it's only when those things become scarce, you know, when our health becomes lower or we become isolated or whatever it is, that we realize how valuable those things are, right? Scarcity and abundance. So when it comes to God, like having a scarcity mindset, we come with that same thing of like, there's only so much blessing to go around. There's only so much of God's favor in my life to go around. But the flip side of that is a theology of abundance, a theology that says God is the creator. He is generative, that out of him comes all things, that he created the world out of nothing. And there's a whole bunch of abundance miracles all through the Old Testament. When Israel is out in the wilderness, there's manna every morning, bread every morning for that day. Just day after day after day, except for Sabbaths, where they had double the day before, so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. And then when they get sick of manna eating bread every morning, God sends quails, just quails flying everywhere, like a storm of quails. Um, It's like a tiny chicken. Um, And then, you know, when they run out of water, God brings water from a rock and he leads them into the promised land and the promised land is a place of abundance flowing with milk and honey. And then there's a story of Elisha who was a prophet and there was a famine through the land and he goes to a widow, she's struggling, there's only a little bit of oil left and he pours it out and the oil just keeps coming. As many jars they have in the house, it just keeps coming and fills all the jars. It's abundance. And then you get to the New Testament, and Jesus does all these miracles of abundance. The first miracle he does in the book of John is turn water into wine. That's like a miracle of abundance. Something that wasn't there is now there. He heals people. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Where there was death, he brings life. That's a miracle of abundance. They're, when the disciples are, are fishing at night and they come back and they, they've been fishing all night, but there's no fish, and Jesus is there, who is like a, a preacher telling fishermen, why don't you just put the net on the other side of the boat? And they're like, you're an idiot, mate. Like, you're a preacher. You don't know anything. Um, And they say, okay, we'll do it. We'll move it over. 
1.5 meters and we'll see what goes on. And they pull up the net, 156 fish, the boat begins to sink, it's a miracle of abundance. And then when they need to pay taxes, um, Jesus, Jesus goes down, tells his disciples to go find a fish, and in the fish's mouth there's coins to pay taxes. It's abundance. Maybe the best case study we can find is in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn your Bibles with me there, it will be on the screen as well, I think. Verse 35. It's the story that's very well known around the feeding of the 5,000. I think this is a brilliant story, and we can get um, accustomed to it if you've been around church for any length of time, but let me read it to you. Mark chapter 6, 35. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told his disciples to have people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets for the leftover bread and fish, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed from those loaves. I was a youth pastor for a long time, and I remember one night at youth um, at Narara. It was a big night. It was in the back hall, and it was just full. It was probably 120 people, 150 people, packed young people sitting down in the back hall, old hall of Narara Valley Baptist Church, and I was preaching on this feeding of the 5,000, and I thought I'd get creative, and, uh, you know, this is pre-COVID times. I broke a piece of bread, and I handed it around, so that people could eat as I was telling the story. And I was getting towards the end of the talk, and a piece of bread came back to me, and it had Nutella on it, <laughs> which I just thought was the best thing ever. That is, that's a miracle of abundance right there. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. Um, but I love this story because it shows the abundance of Jesus. Verse 35 to 37, we have what the disciples have is a, a theology of scarcity. So they say this, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him. So there's a huge crowd of people out in the wilderness. You know, there's no 7-Eleven nearby or whatever. Um, and he says this, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. And they said, with what? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. It's a scarcity mindset. There's too many people and not enough food, right? There's a gap between what we have and what we need, right? Very logical thing to say. They're just trying to do their job. They're trying to, like, support Jesus' ministry. They're trying to just think about the logistics of things going on here. And Jesus says, you feed them. Verse 38, this is a brilliant question by Jesus. He says, what what do you have? That's really important when we think about, like, the gap between what we have and what we actually need. Sometimes we focus so much on the gap and not what we do have. That's a, that's a scarcity thing. We, follow, we, we think we don't have enough rather than focusing on what we do have. 
And so they look around, they scrounge around, and out of everyone, all they get is five loaves of bread and two fish. Verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. I want you to just think about this like practically for a moment. So they're out, they've been working, Jesus has been teaching, they're out in the middle of nowhere, 5,000 people, probably 15,000 people, 5,000 men and their families. There's a lot of people, the disciples are doing a lot of work, a lot of crowd control, you know, there's no microphones, it's like they're, they're working hard. So you can imagine that the disciples are also quite hungry, right? If they're thinking about the food to feed the people, it's probably because they're hungry themselves. And so this is just a very profound moment where they've got five little loaves of bread and Jesus is handing the loaf to the disciple who's hungry and he has to give it to someone else when they know there's only five loaves. And every little act of like giving away the piece of bread that you could have eaten is a huge act of faith, right? A huge act of trust in Jesus. It comes back to that question again, like, do I trust Jesus? Do I trust what he's doing? Do I trust God? So the bread came from Jesus through the disciples. From Jesus through the disciples. And it's in the giving, it's in the generosity of the disciples that the miracle happens, that the abundance happens. And I just, love, I just think that is so brilliant. Jesus could have just done it himself, like he was handing out anyway, so he could have just been handing it straight to people. But there was something about the act of going through the disciple, I reckon, that was doing something in them, building that trust, building that faith. No giving, no abundance. And the thing I'm learning about God in my own life and in kind of leading a church as well is that abundance is always there for the right things. Abundance is always there for the right things. I think there's three ways that we can kind of test our abundance theology of God. Our abundance is always there for the right thing. Number one is asking the question, has God called me to this? And I think if it came to our finances, if we could just ask that question every time we had to make a decision, that would profoundly shape the way that we use our money. Because there are a billion things that we could use our money on. There's a billion things that people ask us for money, right? Always people were knocking on my door asking for money. I'm the person in our household who has to say no. Mel's always like, oh, I'll I'll talk to my husband. And then I have to (laughs) tell the poor person who's asking for an MRI in an ambulance or whatever, just no. Um, and I, I have, you know, friends in our neighborhood who are kind of doing it tough. And I reckon twice a week, maybe at least, I get asked or phone calls from people asking me for money. Like these are people that I know directly. And if I always gave money, like I would have no money. And so it's really hard to go, is God calling me to give money this time or not? And the thing, like, we we often think, oh, of course God's always going to call me to give money. But maybe not. Like, we've only got so much money. He's only given us so much resource to steward. 
And I think if we could just ask that question when it came to everything that we do, has God called me to give to this church? Has God called me to buy that house? Has God called me to buy that car? Has God called me to take my family on a holiday? Has God called me to um, buy organic grocery? You know, whatever it is, like, what is God calling you to do? And no one else can tell you what God's calling you to do. I can't tell you that. The person next to you can't tell you that. It actually has to be between you and God. But I would never take that question lightly because, you know, we're accountable to God. And so I would hold that with a sense of reverence of, like, what actually is God calling me to do? Because that's the thing that we'll have to be accountable to, to him. It's easy to palm off and say, no, he wouldn't call me to do that. But it is really important to know that God will not call you to do everything. Not every opportunity God's calling you to give to. Not every person who asks God's calling you to give to. He is calling you to do certain things. There are tons of great things to be generous towards. But the best question is, is God calling me to this? You know, we've been doing our budget the last couple of months for our, for our church. And um, for the first time ever in the history of our church, we've always had enough money. First time ever we've been doing the budget of like how much we have to pay and how much we expect to give in. And there was a gap, $30,000. And so we've been in the lead team like going, oh man, what are we going to do? $30,000 deficit. Having discussions, praying, cutting things, you know. Um, And just a reminder again to me that like whatever God is calling us to, that he will bring provision for. And over the last couple of months, we've been sort of, you know, working things through. Um, I went uh, hat in hand and asked our landlord to give us a reduction in, in rent, which they did, $10,000, which is awesome. We saved some money in some other ways. And then um, there was someone who lives in a different country that I don't even know. I met them once, but they're friends of someone in our church who God told them to give us $8,600, just randomly. And so the gap now went from like $30,000 to like a couple of thousand dollars, which is much more manageable. Um, But it's just a reminder again that like if God is calling us to it, he will provide for it. Uh, For Mel and I, Mel's not here this morning, Milo's sick, so that's awesome. Um, So (laughs) they're they're, uh, hanging out with snot and coughs, so that's good. Um, Mel and I have been, we've been trying to buy a house um, and sort of got to the point at the start of this year when we're like, okay, the church is not going to die. Like, the church is going. It's okay. Like, there's, like, there's, there's, we're, we're going here. Um, we've got a little family. Rental prices are increasing. Like, we've got to work out some way to, to buy. And so we've been going on that journey um, and we met with our mortgage broker and, you know, got the, how much we could borrow and all that sort of stuff. And we were going to houses, this is at the start of the year, sort of like 25 minutes away from here, which is fine. But if you know our story, you know that we're really called like here in this neighborhood. Um, and we're going to houses and we'd walk in. And it's the sort of house where like you're having a conversation with a real estate agent and you, like, you've got a list of questions. So who and what died in this house? <laughs> and is that, is that wallpaper on, on, oh, it's mold. Okay, cool. Yeah, great. <laughs> And, uh, you know, this kitchen was installed in 1949. Is that what it's? Yeah. And how much is it? Oh, it's only $150,000 above our budget. They're great. Um, and so Mel and I were just kind of dejected about what we can't buy or where we can't live and really thinking about, like, you know, what's God saying here? Like, 
is he actually calling us here? And we've been praying and saying, like, if God wants us here, then he has to make a way, right? Because long jetty is expensive. Um, <laughs> preach it. Uh, and this has come from a man who got blessed for the house, which is very good. Um, and we were meeting with our mortgage broker again. I got out of the meeting and I looked at my phone. I had a message from Jamie Freeman, who some of you would know. He's on our advisory board. He works for our association. And he said, hey, mate, would you be interested in being part of a pilot program that allows ministers to live close to where they planted? And I wrote back, no, no. I wrote back, yes, yes, I would. Um, and uh, we've been going on that process. And I think it looks like we're going to be able to buy a house in Long Jetty, which is just, like, just amazing, incredible. Um, but it's just a reminder again, like, and it, we, we were really, like, sitting down discussing, like, is, is God calling us to live some, like, in another neighborhood? And if he was, it's fine. Like, it's totally fine if, like, that's what he wanted. But we just knew, like, if God wanted us here, then he has to make a way. Um, and that's that idea of, like, the, the, the abundance of God. Like, if God is calling you to it, the resource will be there. The second question to ask, so is God calling me to this? The second question is, my hand open? Is my hand open? Jeremy, can you, can you come up? The Bible talks about seed a lot. Come, come, yep. Give, give Jeremy a round of applause, everyone. He's a good man. The Bible talks about seed a lot, and I think it's a great uh, metaphor for, for money because a seed, not these ones in particular, but some seeds you can eat yourself, right? You could, you could just, like, consume it. Um, but seeds mostly are meant to be sown. They're meant to be invested. And I, I love thinking about money that way, that like every dollar we have is a dollar that we can invest in something, like is investing in housing or food for our body or clothes or um, investing into someone else or investing into a church or investing into whatever it is, a business or whatever it is, our education. And so each dollar is like, a, like something to be invested in. And... Um, you know, you think about God as the provider of all seed. Like, if God is the creator of everything, he is the, the one that provision comes from. He is generative. And so God gives us money, right? And we can either be closed-fisted with that, like hold on to it in the name of, like, being wise or stewarding it well, right? Um, but if God's going around, like, giving seed around, like, who's he going to give it to? Is he going to give it to, like, the person who's whose hand is closed, or is he going to give it to the man whose hand is open? Because it's the same thing with the disciples, right? Where Jesus breaks the bread, he gives it to the disciples to give to someone else. He manages resources through other people. And if money is meant to be sown, and God is the creator of everything, he is sowing uh, resource around for his kingdom, then it's like the open hand it's the open hand in which God will continue to give, right? And we can go and sow that where God is calling us to sow it and plant it where God is calling us to plant it. You can sit down, thank you. I just didn't have two hands. Yeah, you can just take it. Some snacks. I don't think they're very nice. There's a Chinese proverb that says, always give and you'll always have. Or Jesus puts it like this, cling to your life, and you will lose it or give up your life and you will find it. That's the way the kingdom operates. And I think what Jesus wants to continue to do in us 
with our resources, with our time, with our energy, with our generosity, with our gifts, is learning to live as open-handed people. That we are not like closed-fisted about like, this is mine, I've got to tuck it away. That we are learning to live as open-handed people. God calls Abraham, who is like the father of Israel, he says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. It's like this open-handed thing. I'm going to give you a resource so that you can bless the nations. You are going to be like a conduit of blessing. You're going to be a conduit of planting seeds where I want them to be planted. The third question is this, is do I really trust God? Do I actually trust God? Do I believe that there is more resource? Do I believe that he's a God of abundance? Do I believe that he is the source of all resource? I remember sitting down again with our mortgage broker, and it's a very intimate thing, right? I don't know if those of you have done it, like they're going through your bank accounts and your budget, um, and he was asking me, like, what's this teeth? What's the teeth? I was like, oh, it's a tithe. He's like, why are you giving away that? <laughs> why would you do that? I was like, he's like, do you have to do that? I was like, no, I don't have to, but, like, we're going to do it. Like, it's just a non-negotiable for us. He's like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but, you know, our bank accounts are a theological statement, right? The way that we spend our money, and particularly now, like, particularly when everyone's, like, a little bit freaked out about money, when everyone's freaking out about the interest rate rises and the cost of living and how much it costs to fill up the tank of petrol, it is a prophetic stance as followers of Jesus that we would live with open hands and trust in God and that we would ask those questions, is God calling me to this? And be confident, you know, if God's not calling you to do something, just be confident in that. Be confident in, in yourself and what God's calling you to do. But be confident that if God is calling me to it, then he's going to provide, right? Is my hand open? Like, am I, am I actually holding stuff to myself? Because I'm, normally we're just anxious, scared, we want to look after our family or whatever it is, plan for the future. Is my hand open and do I, do I trust God? We're just going to take a bit of time and space if you want to close your eyes. Just a few moments of silence. And I just want you to listen, like, is God saying anything to you? Is there anything coming to mind about the way that you've been using your money or your time or your energy? What is God calling you to? Ask the question, is my hand open? Is there anything that I've been, like, clinging onto that's actually preventing me from living into eternal life or salvation, sozo, healed, whole, life to the full kind of life? And ask the question, do I trust God? And are there any parts of me that I haven't been trusting God with?